We have a couple special guests in the room, and I just wanted to show some love toward them. The first is no, to, no stranger to us, we, and I actually have not met you guys, but Mark and Katrin Hagman are here today. So... So good to meet you guys. I'm Ben. We haven't met yet, but I love you indirectly. So it's my understanding you guys were on staff for over 25 years and just transitioned. I think it was last fall. Yeah. So anyways, welcome. So glad that you're here. Look forward to meeting you guys after the service. We also have our district supervisor, Dave Veach, is in the house over here. So we just want to show some love to Dave. And um, if you're... If you're new to Northwest Church in the last three and a half months, you, you may not know, you might have heard that I've actually been here as the lead pastor for three and a half months, and we had a seamless transition, an amazing transition from Pastor Steve and Mary Shell, who have led this community for 27 and a half years, who I still talk to and just talked to him the other day, by the way, and he is doing wonderful. So uh, Dave Veach, our supervisor, did a great job in serving our congregation by helping lead us through that transition. So I just wanted to honor you today. Thank you for being with us here, Pastor Dave. And um, we are going to be opening the Word. If you have a Bible, please do turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17. And one of the things you might know is as you came in, you might have smelt Thanksgiving in the house, and that is because of... Uh, Tony Forbes and his team, we have a Thanksgiving meal that's going on in the gym right after this service, actually after every service. It was packed last night, and for $5, you can get a Thanksgiving meal and have some good time with people around the table. So do join us after the service. Luke chapter 17, we've been in a sermon series called Questions That Matter. The last two weeks, we had some awesome words from Pastor Craig Kessel about restoring one another and then we also heard from Pastor Scott Dungan last week where he talked about ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And I, I used that time to actually go around the church. I went into every room. I saw what was going on. I got to speak in our Hispanic congregation, which was an honor because, by the way, we are one church and two languages. Now, I'm not saying we don't have more languages among us because we do and we will, but we do have a Hispanic congregation, 11 a.m., that meets over there, and they are fantastic, but we are one church with two languages, and it was such an honor to be able to go around the different places and spaces in our congregation. Maybe you're not even aware of all the things that go on here, but man, we've got a lot going on, and yes, I did go to the kitchen, and I did have some breakfast, too. I did that. We have a kitchen, and they made me some eggs, and I just thought, I'm just going to, and you were worshiping in here, but I was eating eggs in there, and that was fantastic. So I've scheduled some more opportunities in the future to make my way into the kitchen. We've been in that sermon series, as I said, called Questions That Matter. We're just looking at some of the most important questions that Jesus asked. Several weeks ago, we, we looked at John chapter 5, where Jesus approached the man at Bethesda who's laying down by the, the pool at Bethesda, and he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be made whole? And a few weeks ago, I talked about, you know, the, the five loaves and the two fish where Jesus asked his disciples, what do you have? What do you have in your hands that I can use? And my message today is entitled, Where Are the Nine? Where Are the Nine? Let's pray as we open God's Word together. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. We believe that it's powerful and changes our lives. 
And so as we open your word as a community, recognizing that we're in your presence, we pray that you would transform our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in a way that we could hear you, and we ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace to live out and to walk out whatever it is that you say, whatever it is that your word is calling upon us to, li- to live like, to be like. And we thank you, Lord, knowing that you will. Instruct us, encourage us, equip us, transform us. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 17, verse 11, it reads like this. While Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. You should underline that in your Bible. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Where are the nine? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? This, this word foreigner in the original language is a very strong word. It means one of another race. It's, it's a very strong word. Was no one who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. And this does not just mean your faith has healed you. The original word behind well or whatever, it, it really does mean go. Your faith has saved you. It's a complete word. Your faith has saved you. This is an incredible account of Jesus healing 10 men who suffered with a deathly disease. And there are a lot of things to consider from this passage, but I want to look closely at this question, which we'll land on at the end of the message, which is, where are the nine? Jesus is asking, I believe, a provocative question that we want to look closely at. And before we get into some observational points, let's just look at some context. I'll give you three contextual points. The first we notice from this passage is Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem is what it says in verse 11. And if you look back at Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 52, it specifically says that the days of Jesus' ascension were approaching and he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And sort of from that moment, in a a slow crisscross way, Jesus made his way through Israel, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the kingdom, talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. And we know that from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 17, there was only a handful of months. Now that's important to know because during that time, Luke records five or maybe six various miracles. We know from the other gospel accounts that those were not the only things that Jesus did. In fact, in the latter part of John, John says that if all the miracles that Jesus performed were recorded, there would not be enough books in the world to make mention of what Jesus had done. And so certainly Jesus in those months did not just do five or six miracles, but Luke specifically records them. And I want to say this because as Jesus is going to the cross to give his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, this recording of these miracles is very important. The scripture wastes nothing. Even the detail of these accounts is very important. And so we want to study it knowing this very thing. The second contextual point we see in this passage is Jesus passed between Samaria and Galilee. The region of Galilee is north 
of Samaria. You have Galilee, uh, you have Samaria, and Jerusalem is down here. And most practicing Jews, if not all, especially Orthodox Jews, are not going to go from Galilee straight to Jerusalem. It would be a straight shot. You could travel all the way straight through. That'd be the quickest way. And we know that they would not do this because there was hostility between Jews and Samaritans. There were many disputes specifically over lineage. Uh, We have it recorded in history that Samaritans had intermarried, and so their bloodline is mixed. And this was something that was detestable to the Jewish people. And they had sort of a hybrid style of worship, which was also something that the Jews would have judgment over them for. And John chapter 4 specifically says that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so they would not go through their region. They would travel around Samaria to get to Jerusalem, even though the quickest way would be to go through. This was typical, this was normal, but don't you love that Jesus doesn't do what everyone else does? He breaks social customs, and He does it because it's right and it's righteous. Let me say that again. Jesus does not do provocative things for provocative sake. He does provocative things in this time, in this culture, to break the traditions that were not right and righteous. Jesus does things that are provocative because what He's actually doing is right and righteous, and it made people feel uncomfortable, and rightly so. He had no problem breaking the barriers that were set up that should have never been established to begin with. He stops at a border town between Galilee and Samaria. We don't know what town. It doesn't tell us. And he encounters Jewish and Samaritan lepers traveling together, which is also a very significant thing because you would not have these two people groups together except for some kind of illness or ailment bringing them together, which is exactly what we see The third contextual point I want to bring up to you is that Jesus was not afraid of lepers. Jesus was not afraid of lepers. What is leprosy in their culture? Leprosy is an infectious disease caused by bacteria which affects the skin, the nervous system, and sometimes the internal organs. It's characterized by ulcers of the skin, bone, viscera. It led to a loss of sensation, of feeling, paralysis, gangrene. People would be deformed. In extreme cases, they would lose their limbs. They would lose their life. Some cases, they wouldn't have hands because their fingers would basically be absorbed into their arm. This is how this disease would take people's lives. It was actually very common in the Old Testament. You'll read about a lot of lepers and leprosy. And also in the time of Jesus, many lepers are mentioned. Jesus heals several who had leprosy. In fact, I think it's important for us to note that towards the end of Jesus' ministry, which is right about this time, he had practically banished all sickness, disease, and ailments from Israel. The Bible says all who came to him were healed. I mean, isn't that fantastic? All who came, he banished sickness and disease, the places that he went. The text here shows us that the lepers had a very serious form of leprosy. There were different forms Because it says they stood at a distance. Essentially, they got into his path, but they stood far off because they knew that this is what they had to do. In their culture, leprosy was a very serious thing, and it's specifically dealt with in Scripture. We can read in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 that the priests were given the job to be inspectors of leprosy. I'm not sure if modern-day pastors would want such a job. You sign up for the pastorate, and oh, by the way, you get to inspect the spots of the people. I'm not saying I would change my mind, but I don't want to see every spot on your body. 
Pastor Ben, what do you think about... <laughs> no. Dr. Dan, Dr. Dan, what do you think? I, I, I would phone a friend, you understand? <laughs> I would FaceTime it. I, I don't know what this... No, all right, all right. I don't know what this is. The priest also had the job not only of inspecting the skin, but also pronouncing healing when they found that the infectious disease was no longer. And so they would have the blessing of being able to pronounce someone clean, which means that they could go and be a part of community again. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 says this, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. He shall cover his mustache and cry out, unclean, unclean. This is all the days of his infection. Whenever you saw someone approach you, if you were a leper, you had to yell out. I mean, your voice box was certainly restricted as a result of leprosy. That's one of the things that would happen. But they would have to cry out as scratchy of a voice as they had. Unclean, unclean. It was a label you had to speak over yourself. Imagine the kind of shame that this would cause if this was the label that you actually had to speak over yourself every time you saw another person. It's, un it's unfathomable. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is why you have Jews and Samaritans together because they have to live outside of community. Basically, you were quarantined from society. You couldn't be with your family. You couldn't be with your friends. If you had children, you were not to associate with them. You were not to be around them. This was a contagious disease, and there were many thoughts that surrounded people's thinking when it came to leprosy. We can assume that those who had leprosy suffered from pain, shame, and the modern terminology that we use is depression. This is a recipe for somebody to feel utterly and completely depressed. No hope is essentially probably how they would feel. It was commonly believed also in this culture that a person who suffered from something like this was cursed by God. And it's important for us to realize this because if you had this and you had to declare over yourself unclean whenever you saw someone else, everyone in society, including you, believed that you were cursed by God, that this was divine judgment on your life for something that you did that you probably don't realize that you've done. Can you imagine that? I think sometimes we have the residual of this type of thinking. What have I done wrong to get this disease, this ailment, this issue? I believe that, or people believe they were being punished by God. No one interacted with them. But Jesus healed the lepers. In this instance, he didn't even have to touch one. He, did, he was standing at a distance, didn't even have to lay his hand. Now, in other accounts, we see that Jesus actually did touch the lepers. Not supposed to, but he would touch those who had leprosy. But isn't it, isn't it powerful that Jesus is just standing at a distance and he says, go show yourself to the priest. Doesn't even have to touch anybody. He has that kind of power. When Jesus healed those who had leprosy, he was reversing divine judgment. What do you think that that did for the those that didn't like him, the religious elite, the priests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the teachers of the law who would not validate the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus came and touched the lepers, when he healed those who had leprosy that everybody believed was under divine judgment, what was Jesus saying? What was he saying when he reversed the curse in front of everyone? He was saying that you're not under divine judgment. This is a powerful declaration and demonstration from the power of Jesus Christ. He came close to break down every barrier 
and he freely loved those that were cast aside by society, lied about, thought ill of. And this is very important for us to note. I just want to bring up three observational points. I'm unashamedly a three-point and sometimes with a fourth bonus point preacher. So here we go. Ten lepers pressed in to receive from Jesus. We see this from the text. The story is about ten suffering men who by no fault of their own contracted this deathly, terrible disease which led them to being quarantined from their family societies, forced to live alone. They obviously carried shame, as I've said. They were wrestling with a cultural theology that says their suffering is a punishment from God. You can imagine that their head is hanging low and they don't know really how to think about themselves. What does it take to get past that kind of shame? What does it take for a person to push past that kind of shame when they hear about the miracle worker, Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? I hear he's a miracle worker. I hear he has power. I hear he's not afraid to touch us. I hear that he's the one that will do something when nobody else will. And for some reason, this 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 is what he's like. What would it take to press past all of your shame, all of your cultural issues, how everybody sees you, how you see yourself. What, what, would, what would it take to, to do that? I think that it would take some kind of strength. False theology, depression. It takes a lot for people in chronic pain, difficulty to press past all of that and press in for greater hope. And Jesus is the one that certainly can touch us. They heard that God was with him. And they could have just said, hey, I'm a leper, I'm going to die. I'm going to just live this way. I don't want to bring any hope into my current reality. I'm just going to die. I'm just going to go the way that, 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 that this goes. Maybe I'll get better. Most likely I won't. They could have just not got up from where they were, not gone out to meet with Jesus that day, but they did. They went out to meet Jesus that day. They stood up. They stepped up, and they spoke up. They went after Jesus. They pressed past whatever they were working with, whatever they were struggling with, in order to get to Jesus. They pressed in, they humbled themselves, they cried out in a loud voice. And don't you know that their voice box, because of their leprosy, was raspy, was affected. It's amazing to consider that, that they, Jesus, have mercy on me. Master, have mercy on me. And isn't it awesome that the one leper who returned at the end of the story, the first thing that he did with his restored voice box was give praise and thanksgiving to God. This is what you did and this is what I will do. I will take my healed voice box and I will give it right back to you. This is what we see from the passage. The lepers use the word master, which is a very powerful term. It recognizes his authority. It recognizes his power. It recognizes his greatness. We know that blind Bartimaeus said the exact same thing. Master, son of David, have mercy on us. You're humbling yourself. You're recognizing that he has what you don't have, that he has what no one else has. This is a very powerful position. This is actually what it's like for us in salvation. We humble ourselves to Jesus. We're recognizing that he has what we don't have, that he can do what we cannot do, that he'll do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Maybe you don't have leprosy this morning, but we all need to recognize the lepers that we truly are in sin. It's a parallel that we must make. I think that this is not only an account, but quite possibly a parable for anybody that would read it. We're not suffering maybe like these men, but we are in need of Jesus like they are. And of course, I love writing these for you guys. We will never plead with God until we know our need for God. Come on, that was, I worked hard on that. And I, I that was 
you're welcome. You know, that's right. I can't wait for 10-year-olds to start repeating Pastor Ben. I just can't get away with it all slick-like. I'm not good like that. But I can still write them. Do we recognize our need for God? Do we cry out to Him for, our, for help? Even when we haven't received yet. Even when we feel like there's no hope. Do we press in to receive from Jesus? If you find yourself in a difficult place, you're stuck, struggling, suffering. Jesus is mindful of you this morning. He's mindful of every detail of our lives today, right here, right now, how we're feeling, what we're going through, what we're experiencing. He is mindful, utterly, completely, thoroughly mindful of everything that is going on with us right here and right now. Isn't that comforting to know that he's a God of love and he loves every one of us in this room the same? The Bible says with an everlasting love and isn't a shame that Isn't it a shame that sometimes we still allow a kind of theology about God that suggests that He's actually somehow bringing us pain? Somehow He's the the reason for our problem. He is not the reason for our problem. He is the answer and He is our solution. This is who God is. I've met with many people, and I don't want you to misunderstand me in this room, but I have met with so many people who have told me things like, Ben, if I did not have this sickness... If I did not have this disease, if I did not have this ailment, then I would not be this close to God. And here's what I want to say. I understand how you got there, but only one man needed to die so that you and I could be close to the Father, and that was Jesus Christ. He is not invested in giving us sickness, disease, ailment, suffering, struggling, and difficulty so that we would teach us a lesson. He might teach us through our difficulties, but he is not the author, and this is not the way of our God. When Jesus showed up, he went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed, those who were sick. That's who God is. Friend, why would we go to God and ask him to heal us if he's the one that gave us the sickness? It's it's logically inconsistent. There's a residual even today in our modern theology that suggests that God is the one that is imputing this type of punishment and pain and difficulty into our lives to teach us lessons. Here's what we know from Scripture. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. But we need to pay attention to those words. We know that all things work together. It does not say we know that God causes every single thing in our life and then on the back end he uses it for good. See, some people will assume that's what the scripture says, but that's not what it says. God wastes nothing, he uses everything. If you're going through struggling right now, if you're going through a difficulty right now, but you think God is the author of it, that's a struggle that you don't need. The scripture says in Isaiah 53 that the chastisement of us all, the penalty of us all was laid upon Jesus. It was all put on Jesus at the cross. Suffering, pain of our sin was put upon Jesus. He does not need sickness, disease, ailment to teach us a lesson. He just doesn't. I've had people argue with me about this. I've I've had people say, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? And I say, Paul was an apostle. He had a serious spiritual warfare. And for us to parallel ourselves, like my grandma having cancer, has nothing to do with the Apostle Paul having a thorn in the flesh. The weight, 
No, I need you to hear me. The weight of Scripture says that Jesus went and healed people. He is the visible representation of the invisible God. What is God like? He says to Thomas, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He came and declared his intentions, his love, his desire, what he wants, who he is, and what he is like. He is a God that loves us. He is a God that pursues us. He is a God that is after us, and he is redeeming us us we make the mess and he cleans it up isn't that amazing now you might indirectly be you pastor ben you're indirectly saying i'm making a mess you're right you're not wrong i say that with a smile it's all good we need to you know what people are walking away from god you know what i think i think people are walking away from a version of god that they have been taught and told. I know what it does when I say some of the things that I, that I say. It provokes you a little bit. That's good. That's good. We need to go back to the Bible and see who God really is. What is God really like? I, I love watching Jesus walk around healing everybody that no one would touch. This is awesome. But this is the weight of Scripture. The weight of Scripture shows us that God is thoroughly and completely invested in our redemption in our salvation, in our restoration, in our healing. This is God. You may say, Ben, I'm going through a difficulty and I'm, I'm close with God in the middle of that. Amen. Amen. I'm not taking that from you at all. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that God would waste what you're walking through as you give it to Him. But the key is as you give it to Him, as we give it to Him. We will have difficulties and pain and turmoil in this life, but it's not because God's trying to teach us lessons. It's because that's what life is like. That's what life on a broken planet is like. And Jesus stepped into our world of chaos and pain and difficulty and said, I want to give you something that is far beyond the temporary. I want to give you eternal life. Every temporary thing that we receive in this life, healing, deliverance, whatever it might be, is ultimately to lead us to the most important thing, the everlasting thing, eternal life in relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. That's the greatest miracle, and that is the biggest thing that God is up to right now. We see that they pressed in to receive from Jesus. How many of you were walking down the wrong road? Something difficult happened. You looked up. You cried out to the Lord. Come on, and he turned you around. He turned me around. He pursued me. He didn't take no for an answer. He went after my life, showed me who he was and what he was like. The second point I want to make is there were 10 lepers that obeyed the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, go show yourselves to the priests because the priests were the inspectors. First, it's interesting to note that Jesus validated the law by sending them to the priests. This was a requirement. Second, we know the priests didn't like Jesus, but when they went to him, or when the lepers were sent to the priests, Jesus presented quite a conundrum. Now, this is important. The priests would not validate Jesus' ministry. Didn't like him, didn't want to validate him, didn't want to claim that he could possibly be the Messiah that they were waiting for, didn't want to do that. But when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests, here are now these who once were infectious, diseased lepers are now totally clean. They go and present themselves to the priests, and the priests actually have to validate that they are clean at the healing power of Jesus. Isn't that an amazing conundrum to have? I'm not saying that was intention, his intention, but it is a big wink if you ask me. I love it. I love it. 
You're going to get like a second opinion. Uh, priest number two, will you come in here? Because nobody, nobody wants to do that. The lepers obeyed the words of Jesus. The Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Not as they stood, not as they were, but as they went. This means that faith requires action. Faith is not just a mental belief. We know this. It's not just something that stays in my heart and in my head. It's something that shows a way, a path with my feet. My feet have to have action. Action has to be part of what faith is. The Bible says this, in fact, all over the place. For our life to be truly blessed, we must be truly obedient. And I sometimes we present this in this like radical way, like there's this radical step that God asks you to take. And by the way, He might do that. God might ask you to make a radical step that requires radical faith that's far beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. It's far beyond where you and I have ever gone before. That does happen at times, but I think God asks us a lot of times for simple steps. Steps of obedience that sometimes we don't see as very spiritual. I think this is what God asks us to do in our pain and our difficulties. He'll ask us to do something. And we're seeking His healing, His deliverance. We're seeking something from Him, wholeness, reconciliation, restoration. And He'll ask us to do something that doesn't seem to fit the problem that we have. It might even offend us. And there are times where I just admit to you as a pastor, I'll be sitting with someone and in my office, and they'll tell me what's going on in their life, and I honestly have no idea what to say to the problem that they're facing. But what I do know is where to go to get, to get the solution. God, what are you saying to this person in the midst of what they're facing right now? And see, I'm just one of you, and you're, you're like me. And so I know that God's going to probably put something in front of us, ask us to take a step, and it could possibly offend the mind. One time I was struggling with a guy in a previous ministry that I was a part of. Every time I would teach, every time, and I'm not exaggerating, it was like every time. This man would go outside after the service and he would have a little huddle with a few other people that liked to chop it up like this. It was like, let's have a little debrief without the preacher, about the preacher. You know, the historical accuracy, all this kind of, because they were just smarter. You know, I'm not, I'm not. I'm venting. This makes me feel, it's therapeutic. It's very, can't help it, folks. Sorry. So, I, at first I didn't notice it. I was brought to my attention. Then I'd walk out and I'd see it, and I'd kind of overhear it. And there was really no shame there. It was like, let's just go ahead and bash what just happened. And I think that's pretty terrible, you know, to undo whatever's been said. Even if you disagree with somebody, go address it with them. But we just live in an era where everybody feels that their opinion is the most important, so why not just spread the good or bad word? Why not? So that's what happened. I was clearly offended, as you can see. But I didn't know what to do. And so at first, I just got upset. I got mad, just like you might do. And then I eventually realized I need to pray about this. So I prayed, and I sought the Lord. And as I sought God, the Lord asked me to do something. And, I, and I'm not saying this because I don't want to lose my reward. And you don't know who this is anyways. So I feel comfortable. But the Lord said something to me that I hadn't heard before. He said, he gave me a number. It popped in my mind. It wasn't like I heard some booming voice. A number popped into my mind. Okay, and I won't give you the number, but it, it was like a, a dollar amount. And, I, and I'm like, what's that about, you know? And then I just sensed, there was a thought that came through my mind. I just sensed it was the Holy Spirit. I want you to give him this amount of money. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no way. 
I want to take that much money from him. <laughs> My gosh, this guy should pay me. <sighs> His whole family should pay me. Should be like in perpetuity, you know, kids and everything. I mean, just never ending. <sighs> I'm getting help, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm. So, uh, I talked to my wife. She was reasonable about it, of course, much more than I was. I said, this is what I feel like the Lord's leading me to do. I don't know why. I'm not trying to earn anything. So, I just did it as inconspicuous as possible. You know, I put this thing together. I didn't, like, write a letter trying to, like, get something out. I just, it was just really simple and kind of utterly awkward. Put it in an envelope and ended up giving it to him after a service. And uh, I didn't, like, sometimes you do at a birthday, go ahead, open it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't do I didn't do that. Go ahead, open it. See what it is. I just, a little note in there. Just, oh, look at that money just popping out. Wow, I didn't, didn't know about that. I didn't do any of that. I just went on my way, gave it to him. And we never talked about it. He never said thank you. We never talked about the money. Nothing ever happened. And it was a sacrificial moment, honestly. And so what was interesting, though, is that after I did it, after I just obeyed the Lord, something happened in me, the insecurities, the fear, the stuff that was going on inside of me. Like, I could feel it when I got up to speak. I could feel like this guy was starting to control a little voice in my mind. Now, he wasn't trying to do that. I'm not demonizing him. I'm just saying it's amazing what can happen with relational conflict. It can start to have a little voice in you, and then the voice that you have going back to that little voice in you is like, I've told you, it's like that Italian mob boss on my shoulder. <laughs> like, hey, boss, you want me to break legs? You know, it's like, that's my, that's my, that's my flesh. It's like, no, 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 don't. Don't do that. If you're Italian, I'm sorry, but you also understand. <laughs> so, so. I got some Italian friends. It's like when we backslide, we like prideful, lust, shopping, whatever, overspending. You know, they kill people. So it's like, you know, it's like everybody laughing at my jokes because I'm sorry. It's not funny, I know. So... What happened in me was something shifted inside of me, which was, which was awesome. You know, just when you obey the Lord, something happens in your life. You maybe don't recognize it right away, but something even internally will start to shift. What I also recognize is this guy no longer was doing the holy huddle outside of the sermon. He started changing, and him and I are on a whole different page. We're dialoguing, we're talking, but he's still patronizing me. I mean, he's still Mr. I know, you don't know, and that's fine, but, but our relationship had changed. He's no longer criticizing me. He's talking to me, which was a fundamental shift. And my point is, I'm not, I'm not a leper. I don't have leprosy, and I don't have this type of difficulty. But what I do know is that when you obey God, things change in your life. What I do know is that when it says, as they went, they were healed. It's not as you heard him say it to you. It's as you obey the Lord. When you step out on what God says, God will move in our lives. This is what we know. It's all over Scripture. As we respond in faith according to God's Word, we can be sure that God will do something in and through our lives. What has the Lord said to you that you haven't followed through on? I mean, I'm making an assumption maybe that isn't true for you, but has the Lord said anything to you that He wants you to follow through on? You haven't seen breakthrough in that area. What is He inviting you 
into. God has the power to just do it all for us, but He invites us to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to work with Him. And when we work with Him and obey what He tells us to, as simple as it might be, we will see that conflict or sometimes those things that, that need to shift, we'll see them shift. And even if nothing changes around us, something will definitely change inside of us. He'll give us the peace that passes understanding. That's beyond comprehension. The shalom of the Lord will rest on us in a way that's, that's indescribable. That's everything that we need. The turmoil will cease. God will do something powerful. And what I also believe is that as it pertains to healing, I, I can remember I've done, I, I, I had a woman one time, I, she was in the back of the room, she looked like she was agonizing in pain. Now, I don't recommend this. for What I recommend is being led of the Spirit. So I, when I say this, I need to qualify it because we use things as a formula, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I walk to the back of the room. I see this lady. She's agonizing. I'm wondering if she needs, like, medical attention. So I say, how are you doing? Hey, I have a migraine headache. This happens to me about every third day. I said, all right, well, can I pray for you? She didn't really want me to pray for her because she's been prayed for hundreds of times. You understand. Okay, Pastor Ben, you can certainly put your prayer onto the other prayers, but I've been prayed for hundreds of times. So I just sat there and I just thought to myself, I have no idea. I want to help you. I know Jesus wants to do something for you. You're, you're literally here. You're at church. And in the middle of worship, she can't even stand to worship Jesus because she's in pain. And so I'm just feeling like God's compassion, but I also feel helpless because I don't know what to say. And there's literally nothing that I can do. So I pray and I say, Lord, what, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? And he said, tell her to stand up and worship me right now. Okay, now I don't recommend you do this to people. Seriously. <laughs> but I said to her, I just think that if you stand up right now and worship God, he will heal you. Now, as it came out of my mouth, I felt as dumb as it sounds. I really did. I just felt like, why did you say that? And so she did. She just stood up and she started worshiping God. Every three days, she has a migraine headache that takes her down like that. She's just literally about to get somebody to drive her home. She stood up, she began to worship God, and God released her of the migraine headache. And to my knowledge, I knew her for another few years. Those just got less and less and less. Here's the thing. There's no formula for this, but we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. He gave a word, obey this, do this. And there are words that God wants to release into our life that are His divine strategy. And when we take that step, God will begin. If it's not initially He'll release that answer, it's eventually. But either way, He is, in fact, the source of what we're all looking for, isn't He? Ten lepers pressed in to receive from Jesus. Ten lepers obeyed the words of Jesus as they went. But the third point is one leper came back to give thanks to Jesus. Now, it is Thanksgiving week, and no, I did not plan this sermon to be on Thanksgiving week, but here we are. Here we are. Only one leper came back. That, there was something about this guy and his responsive heart. The nine really did nothing wrong. The nine cried out. The nine put, pressed past their shame. They cried out to Jesus. That's noble. The nine actually obeyed Jesus when he said go. And as they went, they were healed. They did nothing wrong. But it's not what they did. It's what they didn't do. It's what they didn't do. They didn't come back to give him thanksgiving and praise. The nine got healed. They went on their way. They were probably excited because as they stood before the priest, there'd be about an eight-day process the priest would then have to pronounce that they were healed, and when they were pronounced healed, they could be restored back to community. 
Who wouldn't be excited about being restored back to community? Maybe they get to go see their kids, their spouses, their moms, their dads, their friends, their cousins. They get restored back to community. They were excited. They got their blessing. They went on their way. Why turn around? Why turn around? But there was something about this one that turned around. He could not help himself. Maybe he was an extrovert. Maybe he was overzealous. Maybe he was that one spiritual guy that everybody sort of tolerates. Maybe he was all of that. But what Jesus said was, where are the nine? Was only this one healed or were all ten? They were excited about the blessing, but they lost track of the source of their blessing. Why is it that we are so quick to pray in our suffering and so slow to praise when God answers us? Maybe this is true of us. Maybe unexpressed gratitude is a lost opportunity to give God the praise that He is due. God is worthy. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips to give Thanks to his name, to give thanks to his name. The quality of our relationship with God is not only determined by our prayer, but also by our praise and thanksgiving. I'm sensitive to the issue of thanksgiving. I'm sensitive to the issue of being thankful. It's funny, uh, I was born on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately, I was a C-section, so they had to cut mom and sorry about that. The, cur- the turkey was overcooked, right? That's just the, yeah, it's the bad family joke. I know. It's like, uh, <laughs> got to get him out. <laughs> He's burnt. <laughs> so every, I know you don't have to laugh. My, my kids don't laugh anymore either. So it's, you know, it's, I know I'm not funny, but I'm sensitive to it. I, I, I love to always pay. I love to be the person that's always like, I just, I, there's something about that. I just enjoy. Many of you are like that too, if not all of us. We, we love to be the one that pays. We love to be the one that takes care of people. That's my MO. That's who I am. And I always know when someone doesn't say thank you. I'm always sensitive to it. I'm not offended about it. Actually, I'm not. But you know what I do want is I want people to be thankful, not just to give me thanks. I think that God is much like this. He doesn't need our worship. Like, yes, worship me. Like he's some Greek Roman God that we're placating. That he needs worship and it makes him more powerful like Zeus. No, he knows that he created us for worship. He's the creator. We're the created. When we worship, we're just giving back to him what he's given to us. And he knows that it does something to us to give back to him what he gave. When we give him thanks and praise and honor... It does something for us and to us and in us. Maybe this one leper is just an example in our lives. Isn't the, the demise of God's people from Genesis to Revelation, isn't it that we tend to fall away? When you read the stories of the Bible, you see that God's people, they come to Him and they come to Him in need, which is not wrong. We come to God, we need. We need healing, we need deliverance, we need provision, and all of that is wonderful, and all of that God wants us to do. He longs to hear our voice, He wants us to bring Him our needs, but doesn't it happen that after we get what we ask for, that we have a tendency to walk away and thanks, thank you, or maybe if we don't get it, we walk away even more quickly 
But what Jesus gives us these temporary things for is not just to satisfy us temporarily. It's releasing and revealing of his love. But ultimately, there's something that does not fade away, and that's eternal life. What this guy demonstrates for us, the one that turned back, when Jesus says, where are the nine? What is he calling out? He's calling out the tendency that we can often have, you can have, I can have, to ask God for something but not recognizing that he is the greatest something. That what we really need, what we are really after, what we really want, what we really desire is his presence in our life. Is that we were created for more than just the thing that we're asking for. So if we came in today and we're in the middle of a difficulty, we're in the middle of a struggle right now, and we acknowledge that, we stand where we are, and we worship Him anyways. And we say, God, right here and right now, you are worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Right here and right now, you are worthy of my life. Whether I get what I want, whether I get healed, whether I get delivered, whether, I, whether this happens with my family or my job or whatever, I ask that you do it. But if it doesn't happen, you're still worthy. You're still God, you're still worthy of my life, and I'm not going anywhere. You're worthy of it all. He's calling us into more than temporary blessings. He's calling us into divine relationship. He's giving us more than healing. He's giving us himself, the divine healer. This one man recognized, I want more than the healing. I want a relationship with the divine healer. Everything he gives us points us to eternal life. This is the greatest blessing. Where are the nine? Let us be the one. Where are the nine? Let us be the one. Are you thankful for Jesus this morning? Are you thankful for what he's done in your life? Are you thankful for what you know he's up to even if you can't see it right now? Are you thankful for what he's doing? I'm thankful. I want to show you something today. It's in my pocket. I I felt led to do this. We're good on time. Just, just a moment. I know we got a good Thanksgiving meal going on out there. You can smell it. You can almost, I think they sent a fan <laughs> just to get Pastor Ben's sermon done. Just open the door, put the fan in, just let everybody smell. Thanksgiving is upon us. I felt led of the Holy Spirit. As we moved here four months ago, I don't even know where half of my stuff is anymore. I mean, not everything makes the cut. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I went to dress fancy or nice or whatever. I can't find my dress shoes. I got to buy some more. I don't know. Adidas, that's all I got, okay? All right? I can't find half of my stuff. I can't. So you don't know really what makes the cut when you move. You with me on that? We did two moves. We're doing two moves in four months. So have some compassion when I make some mistakes up here. It's a lack of sleep. You're right. But... The Holy Spirit reminded me of something, just came to my mind, and, and, and I even had a picture of the drawer, which is just a funny little detail. I opened the drawer, and, and, and this w was in my head, and I, I know this is just a, it's just a blade. You could see it. It's just two long blades that you would use, like razor blades. I took this from a girl who had bought it that day that was going to use this to take her life. Okay, I want you to take a look at this, all right? Somehow I end up interacting with her, and this isn't the only, I've, I've got stuff, I've got things like this, and I kept them for this purpose, but the Holy Spirit led me to this to show you. I took this off a girl that was going to use this to take her life. This is real life, people. This is what's going on out here. Somehow I got to interact with her, and I took this off her person, 
And I got to lay my hands on her and release that blessing of the Lord on her life, speaking life. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I got to pray life where a spirit of death was trying to take her out. And I was reminded of this. Now, I just want to tell you, she's now a wife, mother. She's seeking to run a business. I knew her for several years after this. I'm not really much in contact with her, but I've seen pictures, and she just has a beautiful boy. I mean, just life has moved on, loving Jesus. Come on, somebody. God, God got a hold of her. Yeah, that's right. Her story changed. Her story changed, but the Holy Spirit reminded me of this, and he said something to my heart about whether it was people that would be watching or somebody that would be listening to me today. God wants to take the blade out of your hand. And we're asking the question, why is it so bad? And what God is going to do, and I'm saying this to you prophetically, what the Lord is going to do for someone, I don't know who it is, but somebody's listening to me today. What the Lord is going to do is he's going to give you a different perspective. Instead of saying, why is it so bad? He's going to give you a new mindset that I'm glad that it's not worse. It's going to change from why is it so bad to I'm glad that it's not worse. He's going to take the blade out of your hand. And metaphorically, that can mean he's going to take the thought out of your head. He has the power to take the thought out of our head to break the spirit of death. Maybe this is for you. Maybe this is for somebody you know. But would you stand and pray as we close and give thanks to God together as Northwest Church? Let's put our hands out to the Lord as we close. Father, we thank you this morning for your great love for each one of us in here. And we thank you, Lord, also as we prophesy that you're going to take the blade out of someone's hand today. And you're going to give us thanksgiving in our heart to give back to you because you're doing something in our life, whether we've seen it or not. You're about something. And we thank you for all that you have done in our lives. This is not just a time to eat turkey and to celebrate just with family. It's a time to celebrate you and to give you all of our thanksgiving today. So we say to you, thank you. Thank you that you saved us, you set us free. You set our feet on solid ground. Take the blade out of someone's hand today, Lord. We prophesy that over that life right now in Jesus' mighty name. We thank, that you, thank you that you're going to do a miracle and you're going to switch our thinking from why is it worse so bad to I'm glad that it's not worse. Give us that thinking today. Friend, I'm going to stay up here after the service. If you have not given your heart, your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the best decision you could ever make, I want you to come and meet me. You know your heart, in your heart, this is what you have to do. Ben, I need a relationship with God. I would like you to come forward after the service and pray with me today. We're going to have people up here for prayer, and each one of them can also pray with you and lead you into a place and space where you can come to know the living God. He is not far off. He has come near. If that's you today, or maybe you're saying, I need to reconcile. I need to rededicate my heart, my life to the Lord. Ben, I hear you today. I want you to know you can come forward. We're going to have many people that will be available for prayer. I want to pray with you. I'll, I'll stay until we're done. Not some of us here today, but I just want you to know that. Now, let me send you out with a benediction. As you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of his voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. God bless you. We'll be up here for prayer. We're so glad you were able to join us today. 
We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.